I don't know uh, if life at your work uh, looks that way. Uh, man, it's a bit dramatic, but sometimes do things do get a bit dramatic at work. We get some drama. But I think um, you know, one of the things uh, is with work traps is that we can often see it in others, but we often miss it in ourselves. It's the whole idea that sometimes we can't get a whole 360. You know, you go, you look in the mirror, you're trying on some clothes, and you're always... You can see the front, but you're always kind of going, eh, I can't see. And even with those, like, three different mirrors, you're still kind of going like this. And it's just impossible to see every angle of yourself. And the true, the same is true spiritually that, uh, that occurs. And, and sometimes these traps, these external, uh, external obstructions to our work, uh, things that, uh, provide uh, resistance or uh, make resistance to our work are, are around us and we're not aware of them. And uh, some of the traps that we'd just like to look at, I think, also reveal what's going on in the inside and what uh, Rebecca was sharing with the children, and uh, that there is really a matter of the heart, something going on on the inner life. So, uh, But first, just want to take a moment to look at some of these external things uh, on the outside, but then point to what that maybe reveals about our inner life. So uh, here are some of the uh, things that we want to look at that are the external. Uh, one is unrealistic, run unrealistic expectations. Second is uh, a significance, a signif- significance trap. Uh, the money trap. The compartment trap. The sex or romance trap. The retirement trap. And every trap is best negotiated when we can actually recognize that they're present, and then we can have a strategy to address them. And again, like many times, we don't recognize them. But if we could recognize them, we, get, we have half a chance. Now, uh, these external things that challenge us and provide, present resistance to our work, um, but again, these reveal internal things. So I'm just going to go through these traps. Trap number one, unrealistic expectations. You know, 65% of people around the world and around the globe are unsatisfied with their work and they want new work. Now, that is a lot of disappointment. When our work doesn't meet our expectations, what we hope for, uh, we can easily give in to disappointment, give in to bitterness, give in to cynicism. And maybe, maybe there's a possibility that maybe we have some unrealistic expectations. Maybe we uh, went into our work, our field of work, and we expected that there would be no resistance. We thought that uh, we would uh, go into our workplace and we'd always be loved, always be appreciated. Uh, people would recognize what we do and the value we bring. Uh, maybe we had expectations, unrealistic expectations that... Uh, that uh, there would be no setbacks. I mean, you would go in and you would guide something all the way to the end with ease. And maybe that's what you thought. But the truth is, those are simply unrealistic, and everyone is going to have to manage the tension between a biblical view of work and the realities of a, a broken and fallen world. So it, it's not just unrealistic, but it also reveals some things about our expectations, about our inner life. Second uh, trap, significance trap. 
39% of American people place most importance on the meaningfulness of their job. And we all hope, we all hope that with a create and cultivate view with this larger framework to place our work in that we can each of us find some purpose in our work but it can't be the thing that really justifies our existence it can't be the foundation for our life because work shifts Uh, uh, companies dissolve they go out of business there are layoffs there are markets that change if work is the sole way that we become somebody or feel good about our lives, we'll be putting a whole lot of emotional pressure on our work. And performance will become paramount and success will become like the main source of significance. But only Jesus is a sure foundation and, and, and he's the only one who can give us the significance and identity that is solid. And this trap is just not shaky-shifty but it also reveals something about our foundation and about our inner life. Number three, the money trap. 60% of American workers say that compensation is very important. And, and, you know, I think many of us would agree it is important, but it becomes a trap when we begin to define ourselves not by what we produce, but only by our consumption. That's called materialism. You see, if we focus solely on collecting and consuming instead of being a life-giving presence who produces, creates, and cultivates, then maybe the love of money or the fear of money has got a hold on us. You see, we have to adopt a higher motivation than a paycheck. Money is a tool, but if we're not careful, we end up becoming the tool, being owned, which means we're not free. And it reveals something about our motivation, but it also reveals a part of our inner life. Number four, the compartment trap. And this is one that's especially true for men, but it's not exclusive to women. But sometimes we have an uncanny and dangerous ability to compartmentalize our lives into these mutually exclusive rooms that have no walls, uh, whose walls have no windows or doors. And what's dangerous is that we can begin acting like a different person when we involve ourselves in this compartment of our life or these different environments. You know, there's the person at work, there's the person at school, there's the person at home, there's the person on a date, there's the person with their spouse, there's the person with their boss watching, there's the person when the boss isn't watching. And so when we divide up our lives like this, there's trouble. There's going to be a collision of these compartments at one point or another. God won't allow it. He will allow a collision and a moment where you feel out of control. But we know that we have to integrate our faith into our work lives. When we can't integrate faith into every aspect of our life and be one person or be whole instead of divided, then we, it reveals something about our inner life. Number five, the sex or romance trap. This is what happens when you allow lust to invade your work life. Of those who have looked at pornography, 79% of them have admitted to viewing it during work hours. 79%. One out of four women in the workplace, 25% have said that they have experienced some form of sexual harassment Now, if sexual temptation 
is not treated like kryptonite, then you're overconfident. You're not really the superman or the superwoman that you think you are. Because the word is, is that we have got to flee that sort of temptation. Men especially need to proactively create an environment where women can feel safe and comfortable and where they are respected and where they're valued. And when you have a double life, you'll eventually, it'll eventually tear a man or woman's soul apart and it reveals something about your inner life. Uh, number six, the retirement trap. Around 1900, 75% of men over the age of 65 were still working. In fact, most men worked as long as they were able. Now today, it's, it's totally reversed. 75% of Americans nearing retirement in 2010 have less than 30000 in their retirement accounts. So that means many, that 75%, will probably not be able to totally retire. In many modern cultures, retirement has become this ultimate goal in a person's work life as if it's, we're supposed to return to some sort of uh, a, a paradise and, and it's viewed as a shame if you, you can't make it to retirement. But the Bible doesn't make retirement the ultimate goal. Work in some form or fashion is to be a part of every person's life in every season of life. And, and there are ways that we can shift how we create and cultivate as we age. But it is a question about how we are driven. The internal motivation. And again, it reveals something about our inner life. So what do all these, these traps, these work traps, reveal about our inner life? Well, Exodus 20, verses 3-5 through five lays it out for us. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or of any, of an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Now, I know most of us in America, when we think of the word idol, uh, we might think of a teen celebrity, uh, a contest to become a celebrity. Uh, maybe when we think of idol, uh, we might think of it in a rhetorical sense. You know, someone has become a workaholic or is greedy. And, and so that success or money has become this object of, of extreme devotion. Now, those are all legitimate uses of the term idol, but they're only the most extreme cases that we associate usually with a melodramatic Disney movie about a parent who repents of being devoted too much to work and then changes and devotes all their time to family. But I'm afraid that idolatry for us in the real world is more sophisticated than a Disney movie. And the New Testament still shouts out warnings to us in this day and age, saying, flee from the worship of idols. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. So what does it mean to have no other gods? Well, Martin Luther defined it this way. He said, it's looking to some created thing to give you what only God can give you. I'll say it again. Looking to some created thing to give you what only God can give you. You might paraphrase it and say, looking to some created thing to make you happy instead of turning to God to make you happy. You know, Martin Luther even argued that non-religious people serve God's ideologies or abilities that they believe can justify their lives. 
what we do today in our, our idolatry is, is not bowing down to a, a speechless idol or something, some sort of man-made figure, uh, but instead we set up idols in our hearts. Outwardly we honor God, but inwardly we set up something else as a false god. Ezekiel 14 verses 3 through 5 say, says it this way. God speaks through Ezekiel and says to, to the people, Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. Why should I listen to their request? Tell them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, the people of Israel have set up idols in their hearts and fallen into sin. And then they go to a prophet asking for a message. So I, the Lord, will give them the kind of answer their great idolatry deserves. I will do this to capture the minds and hearts of all my people who turn from me to worship their detestable idols. So what does an idol of the heart, what does idolatry look like today? Well, maybe here's an example of idolatry, and uh, I'll I'll give it to you, and then we'll kind of look at each of these traps and how they reveal something about the heart and that inner idolatry that's going on. Uh, Myself, uh, you know, let's say uh, idolatry in my heart. Someone criticizes my parenting, and, and I get really angry. I get, I, get, I'm, I get the, how dare they? Who do they think they are? Well, I saw them with their kids the other day, and they did this, and that was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And I could go on this little rant and little rage, and all of a sudden there's bitterness in my heart, a sinful bitterness in my heart. And uh, my countenance is all sullen. You know, how is it in that moment that I've let someone else dicta- dictate to me how I should feel? I mean, aren't I responsible for my own feelings? I mean, I don't report to this other person as, you know, reporting for duty as parent, tell me how I did, give me the thumbs up. That's not the setup. But maybe, maybe it's because in my heart there's an idol set up, an idol of approval. And for some reason, I've switched from God's approval and sought it in others, thinking somehow that will make me happy or more fulfilled than God's approval. So when I, if I have that idol of approval and I'm looking for it from, from other people and all of a sudden I get criticism instead, that rocks my world. And I'm upset. I'm, I'm frustrated. So think about it. Sometimes our feelings might be an indicator. If we're all flustered and, and messed up or angry or sad, it might be an indication that we need to examine our inner life and what's going on there. There might be an idol of the heart. So let's go back to the work traps, the externals, and see what they reveal about within our hearts. Unrealistic expectations. What does that reveal? When we recognize there's that trap. You know, there's recognizing a trap, and then there's doing some, finding a way to negotiate around the trap. So let's recognize it. You know, uh, unrealistic expect- expectations. We don't get what we imagined. We become disappointed, frustrated, angry, cynical, and bitter. But what is that expectation is about? What is it about? Could it be that we simply want things to go our way? Do we want everything to go our way? Is it control that we're bowing down to instead of recognizing God as in control? Are we looking for a certain order of events or a certain order of accomplishments to make us happy? Is progress our God? Instead of going to God, the God of all order, who can move us from here to there, are we instead bowing down to our to-do list, our progress, or bowing down to ourselves as the accomplisher of all things? 
Could be, could be. What about the significance trap? When, when you don't get the, the hip job that you dreamed of, that, that would, you know, and, and, and when your assignments at work feel like they're unimportant, um, you know, it doesn't feel like there's much value to what you're doing, to the certain task you have to do on this certain day, are you starting to try to find importance in your work instead of importance from God? I mean, didn't God purchase you with the very life of his son? Isn't he the one who ultimately makes you valuable? Have you set up an idol of the heart, the idol of significance, and begun worshiping at it? What about the money trap? Are you upset about your compensation not being enough? Are you just busting out, trying to get out of that job to get to a better paying gig? I mean, what's driving that? What is motivating that? Could be different things. Maybe, maybe did you grow up in a, in a lower class, a middle class family or poor family, and you never want to experience that powerlessness you felt when you couldn't get the things that you needed or wanted at times? I mean, money does affect power, powerlessness, doesn't it? It changes circumstances. But to get out of feeling powerless, have you begun to bow down to the idol of money or power, thinking it could make you secure or feel powerful? I think the thing we have to remember, doesn't God say that he is our shepherd? And if the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Is that true? Isn't God the one who says, I've given you not a spirit of timidity, of fear, but I've given you a spirit of power and of love? We don't have to feel powerless if God is our God. The idol of control and the idol of power is sneaky. It's very sneaky. What about the compartment trap? You know, what about that part of our life that remains hidden or separate from God's touch? Is it because that part of our life is comfortable and we don't want it disturbed? I mean, to, to have to let God examine it might mean Change and sometimes change is uncomfortable. We don't like it. Or is the compartments of your life what makes you feel in control? You know, I got it all set up and I can I can go from one to the other and, and everything is in this order under my power. Are you bowing down to the God of comfort or the God of control? The sex and romance trap. Are you coveting someone who isn't yours to have? Are you thinking you would be happier if there was some more excitement, more romance, or passion, and you're looking somewhere else for it than from your mates, or you're looking for it before you're married? Is not God the Creator? and the source of all romance and passion, and the one who made this world with risk and adventure? Isn't he the one who can satisfy every longing? Has an idol of romance or pleasure been set up in your heart? And then the retirement trap, what does it reveal? Have you thought that only real joy and contentment will come when you don't have to work, when you don't have a job? Has it become your motivator instead of cultivating purpose or finding a platform from which you can bless and give to others? The God of comfort can strike again. 
and rob you of joy and the influence that you can have right now at work instead of being motivated for a day that's far off. And again, many of us may not even realistically be able to have a retirement. So there's now. There's now and what God says He can offer us now. What do we do when we're tempted by these idols of the heart? You know, we've read earlier that we're to flee idolatry. And really, this is the strategy given to us for any temptation. And in that temptation, God says that He provides a way out. I always, I always pray about this. Uh, I know that God provides a way out in any temptation, but sometimes I don't want to look for the way out. Sometimes I'll see the way out, but I, or I don't have the strength to take the way out. And so I always pray, Lord, you know, when I pray, lead me not into temptation. And, and then there's those moments where you can't run, you can't flee because you're, you're at work and you can't abandon your posts, but there's temptation right there. Or you're taking care of your kids or something, and, and it's a moment where you can't abandon your kids, but temptation is right there. What do you do? You've got to pray, Lord, show me the way out. How do I take that with my mind and heart right now? And Lord, when I see that way out, when you show me the way out, give me strength to take it. You know, the only thing is when you run from something, again, we're told to flee these temptations. It's always best to be running towards something better. And that something better is God Himself, who's all sufficient and He's all that we could ever need or want. You know, for those of us who, who have readily or, or, read, or readily admit that we fall into idolatry or have fallen into idolatry, how do we end idolatry of the heart? Well, listen to the conclusion of God's words given through his prophet Ezekiel. It says this, Repent and turn away from your idols and stop all your detestable sins. I, the Lord, will answer all those, both Israelites and foreigners, who reject me and set up idols in their hearts and so fall into sin. So what's God saying? Again, the word repent, it means to, to change your mind. It also means to turn around, to do a 180. So change your minds about these idols of the heart. Think differently. Get the right story. And with that, when we turn away, what are we turning to? We're turning towards God. And He is the one who ultimately can fulfill all that we need or want. Turn away, but in your turning, you got to turn to something else. Turn to the Creator instead of the created things. A band is going to come up right now. But in these last moments, I just want to say that this morning, uh, getting ready and, and thinking and praying, just the, the song that came to mind was, uh, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. And the idea of the song that was written in the 8th century was, Lord, be all-encompassing in my sight. Push out everything else. Lord, really, you're, you're the, the biggest vision and the most worthy vision to have in this life to have in my sights. And of course, where we look and where we see is where we walk and where we go. Where we look is the direction we'll go. And I, I pray that that's 
that would be the case for us and for this group of people here. That we would ask God to be our vision. And that we would, when, when we recognize those traps, and if we've, we've fallen into some sort of idol of the heart, that we'll repent of it. That we'll, we'll change our minds about it. That we'll turn from it and turn to God, the all-encompassing vision. The first commandment, to have no other gods. What does it mean? Well, this is what it might mean if, if the Lord was speaking directly to you. Since I alone am God, you will place all your confidence and trust and faith on me alone and on no one else. When you seek favor and goodwill and other things or in themselves, you do not keep this commandment and practice real idolatry. If we do not believe that God is gracious to us and is pleased with us, if we presumptuously expect to please Him only through our good deeds or after our good deeds, then it's all just pure deception. When we fail to believe that God accepts us fully in Christ and look to some other way to justify or prove ourselves, we commit idolatry. God in Christ has accepted us and there is no condemnation for us. Jesus Christ can save us from the traps of idolatry and we need to rest solely in Him, rest in His grace and not the idols that lie to us. Right now, would you, would you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, these next few moments, we're, we're going to sing to you, pray, worship. And in that worship, it's giving you the rightful place that you deserve. And so, Lord, in our worship, I pray where, where it's needed, there would be repentance, a smashing of the idols, a removing of them, and replacing the idols with the one who rightfully belongs in that all-encompassing sight, you, Lord Jesus. In the next few moments, guide our thoughts as we lift our voices up to you. As we speak to you, would you please speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? Let's worship.